Today's Bible reading is from Acts 11. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Any young people here today who would like to come up here? If you're young at heart, you're welcome here. All right, ladies, thank you very much. Let's see, what grade are you two in? What grade? Your seventh grade? fifth grade and seventh grade. I hope you're having a good time. Are you having a good time in school? Uh, seventh grade for me was horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. And eighth grade was even worse. I went to Waldo Junior High School. And when I was a kid, I thought of ways of burning it down. <laughs> And the irony of it is that my daughter lives a block away now from Waldo Junior High School, and I find myself still wanting to burn it down. 
So I hope you're having a good time in school. One of the things that I did not like about school is the way that people kind of gathered in groups and cliques. You probably have that at school, don't you? Do you have a group of the popular kids? You might even be in that group. I always wanted to be in the popular group. Or, or you might have people who, who are into cars or who are into drugs or who are sports people and they kind of hang out together. And there are probably some kids at school who are picked on. Is that, have you seen that at your school? Yeah, not really. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, when I was uh, in junior high school, they did not get that memo about no bullying. I mean, there was a lot of bullying going on in that school, and it seemed rampant. Um, and I, I did not get picked on, but there was always the fear that I might. And so later on in high school, um, I had my own little group of friends. Uh, we were the group that was against the group. Now think about that for a minute. It doesn't make any sense, but we were in the group that, that disdained the other groups. We were outsiders groups. But um, I, I was on the swim team, which back then didn't really mean a whole lot. Probably not much more today. But then, you know, we had, to, we had these jerseys we wore. So whenever we had a swimming meet, you know, we could wear our jerseys to school. And everybody would smile, and it was a good thing. It's kind of nice being in the in-group, isn't it? Yeah. Who's the out-group in your... Do you know, can you name names? You don't need to, but do you know who the out-group is at your school? Wow. You must go to a good school. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, you know, every organization has kind of like the favorite group or the important group, and that's true uh, in, in the Bible, too. In, in Judaism, G did you know Jesus was a Jew? And uh, his scriptures were the Old Testament. And uh, when he died and, and rose again, uh, his disciples would go, go all over the place. And uh, they would preach to the Gentiles, the Gentiles or anybody who was not a Jew, and they would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to anybody and every, and everybody. And uh, when Peter uh, went somewhere, uh, and he, he was in the same house as a Gentile, and he probably ate with a Gentile, and when he came back to Jerusalem, he got in a whole bunch of trouble for being in the house of a Gentile and eating with a Gentile. That was against the rules, totally. So he came back to a whole lot of... Uh, probably trash talk uh, for him. And the way he told the story, and I, he, he probably convinced a few. But it, it's hard for me to understand how uh, some people in some churches can feel like, like they're better than other people. We don't do that here, of course. <laughs> but we do fall into that trap, though, sometimes, don't we? We feel like our group that we're in, our friends, you know, is most important. Um, and that can happen here without even us noticing. I mean... I'm very sensitive to people who come in here, here for the first time. And I'm always sensitive when they go out, and, and if they're standing alone, and other members are everywhere talking to each other, I, I, I feel badly for that person. And so I might ask somebody to go and talk to that visitor. And that's kind of a blindness here. 
uh, or in any place. We, we think we're, you know, welcoming and friendly and uh, we're an opening, uh, open and affirming congregation. Uh, and yet sometimes a stranger uh, will be all left alone out on the palm patio or over in the hall. And um, that's what the, the New Testament uh, is very sensitive about. Uh, the gospel is open to anybody and everybody. Everybody has a home here. So we, need, we, we make the extra effort, I think, to reach out to people who are different here, people who are here for the first time, people who are a little strange or odd. Uh, we, we befriend them, and we take them into um, our hearts. They, we take them into our little group here called the Brea Congregational Church. And uh, Jesus loves diversity. And this church loves diversity. And when we have that policy, sometimes people come here who are a little strange. Or they might be really handsome or beautiful, or um, they might be rich or poor. But I think that's what Jesus had in mind in the New Testament, that we are a very, very diverse church. And I like it that way. And I think that's what God wants for all of us, too. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we thank you so much for uh, the Bible, where we can look for direction for our own life. And very appreciative of all the people here who uh, are part of the Brea Congregational UCC. We hold dear a lot of the values that Jesus had, and that is uh, not to seek revenge or not to hate other people or disrespect them. We really are a community of trust. And so, loving God, help us to live up to that, being a community of trust. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, the text this morning comes from the 11th chapter of Acts. I think the first 18 verses. I was instructed. Where's Jessica? Oh, there you are. Do, I ha do we have your permission to use this tech, this picture, if we need to? Okay. And Janine Arp isn't even here. But Dennis is. So. <laughs> she was here. Well, I mentioned that uh, Ann and I went to Detroit last weekend to do a wedding there. And I really like Ann's uh, family. She's got two brothers who live there in Detroit, and then she has a sister who lives in Florida. And uh, a lot, of, a lot of, uh, of nieces and nephews all over the place. And so it's always fun to go for a joyful time. Uh, we had fun doing the wedding, and it went really well, and the bride was beautiful, and all of that. And um, so it was just a happy time, and I, I enjoy that. Um, one of our dinners there, uh, we were in town, and I, I just noticed that I had not seen a non-white person in two or three days. 
That's weird. I'm not used to being in an all-white community. I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just, you know, there, there it is. And then, and then I was looking around, mentioning that to somebody who was there at the table. And I said, oh, oh there. Come guy come in with brown skin with a broom. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, the Jewish people uh, felt like, and I still do, I think they still feel like, they are God's chosen people. And they sometimes consider that as an exclusive relationship with God. And, um, and I think sometimes we feel that same way as Christians. We feel like we have, an ex- as a Christian, we have an exclusive uh, relationship with God. And by saying that, we kind of dismiss about four billion other people in the world. <laughs> So it's always, it's always interesting to me how, how some people can get so uh, connected to the past or their vision of what life should be like. And, and if that vision includes excluding a lot of people, I'm, I'm there, there's a better vision than that. And so here we are with a... I have to look at my notes just a minute, please. Uh, the part that uh, Stacy read is kind of a summary. It's a kind of a, um, you know, in a movie uh, when somebody is talking about something and then they, they go back to the beginning of a story and then they show up. What, what's that called? It's called a flashback. Yes, thank you, flashback. So what we're getting here in the first 18 verses of chapter 11 uh, is a flashback. And uh, Peter... Uh, who was one of the twelve. He was probably one of the more important disciples. And uh, he was responsible for uh, Jews. Uh, he and Paul made this agreement that Paul would go and, and uh, preach to the Gentiles, and, and Peter was happy to stay in Jerusalem and preach to the Jews. And uh, so they had an understanding and it was, a, it was really a very, very difficult thing. Uh, one of the issues that was going on that I think uh, it holds bearing on us is, is that, and uh, Stacy pointed it out to me, there's a lot of circumcision going on here in this story. And uh, she felt a little weird um, reading about it as a female. Uh, one of the things that was really, really very difficult for uh, the Jewish people who were the first disciples uh, to uh, meld uh, the Old Testament with this new thing of Jesus. They fought over uh, if you were going to become a Christian and you were going to be a follower of Jesus and if you're going to call him the Messiah, then you must become Jewish first. And what that meant. Uh, was that if you were even a Gentile as a convert, you had to become Jewish, meaning that you had to observe all of the uh, festivals and all of the high holy days. You had to uh, go to the synagogues and you, know, you had to take part in the whole thing. And, um, if, and there was a special name for those people, those Gentiles who were uh, in the synagogue uh, learning about you know, the Old Testament. Um, and they are called... Um, observers they were observing 
even as they participated. And uh, the big deal was then that Paul and Peter really got into it over whether you should become a Jew or not. Of course, Paul was absolutely adamant uh, that the gospel was for everyone. I mean, pure and simple. And he would go anywhere under any kind of circumstances in, in order to preach the gospel. And what that meant was that he would preach that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and what that meant for us now. And he would go back to his own Bible, which is the Old Testament, and he would draw upon stories and texts that, uh, that made the case that uh, the Jewish nation is not exclusive, but they are kind of like the vessel through whom the word of God gets around. So um, Paul was a Jew, Peter was a Jew, uh, and there they were, and they had this big fight. Um, there is a place in, um, my mind is working on the three cylinders today, so. Um, so the problem was, and there, this is going to be a huge division uh, in the church, and that's probably why we have the, the New Testament, is because of all the trauma and the drama. It was a massive split in, in the Jewish community. Uh, because here there were people who said, you know, the Messiah has come and, you know, he's Jesus of Nazareth. And other Jews would say, no, he's not the Messiah uh, because uh, the Messiah we're looking for looks a lot like King David. So this is one of those divisions in, in faith you cannot bring together. You really can't. You can't. All you can do is acknowledge the other person and learn to live with them and let them do their thing and we do our thing. So that's been going on for 2,000 years or more. But you have to understand that the Jews, uh, what was very, very important to them was, uh, was uh, being a practicing Jew, uh, meaning that you would go by the purity law. And the purity law is in the book of Leviticus uh, that says, you know, how you could handle food and, you know, and so there was the sense of you did, if you ate the right way and you ate the right thing in the right, in the right circumstances and you were clean, that means you were clean if you abided by uh, Leviticus. And so, you know, the Jews were pretty good at that. Not all of them, but that was the way they understood their relationship with Yahweh, uh, is to be clean uh, before Yahweh. And of course they had a mechanism uh, where if you did something wrong, then you could do <clears throat> kind of like the Catholic Church, confess and get in right relationship with Yahweh. Um, but uh, this whole idea of Gentiles uh, becoming Jewish was just really too much. <clears throat> it really was too much. <clears throat> and so the book of Acts, <clears throat> excuse me, the book of Acts <clears throat> is... Uh, the second volume of the person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And that's all about Jesus. And now the, the, the book of Acts is all about what happened after Jesus came with the first teachers and the first organization and the first church and all of that. And so here's Peter uh, holding on to the idea that in order to be Christian, you had to be a Jew. So he, he, was, uh, he was at home, you know, he went up on the roof to wait for something to eat and, and he had a vision. And this is in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is where you get the real story. Chapter 11 is Peter telling about the story. 
And so uh, <clears throat> he was waiting on the roof to have something to eat, and then he had a vision. And the vision was that a sheet-like thing came down from heaven, and it had all different kinds of animals on it. And the Lord says, you can kill and eat anything. And then it all went back up to, up to heaven. And then at the same time, there was another Gentile in another city named Cornelius. And he had a vision from God uh, that he should send some people to uh, this address in this, in this town, and you'll find a guy there by the name of Peter. Bring him to me. I want to meet him. I want to hear more about it. And Cornelius uh, was a Gentile, but he was a, he was a practicing Jewish Gentile. And so the Bible calls him a man of faith. And um, so uh, then Cornelius, after he has a vision, he sends uh, uh, some people to this other city where Peter is. And then Peter has another vision. He says, you know, some people are going to be coming from, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> can I give you $20 and can you turn it into 40 <laughs> The multiplication of water. Thank you. It's very thoughtful of you. <clears throat> so Peter has this vision in which uh, the Lord says that, you know, there are going to be some guys coming from somewhere else. They're going to ask you to come to this uh, other town. And uh, Yahweh says, well, we'll go, follow them. And so uh, uh, Peter's there, and he, he hears a knock at the door, and here are these guys looking for Peter. And so they come and meet, and, you know, they convince him that they, he should go with them. They're Gentiles. He should go with them. So off he goes. And he, go, he goes uh, all the way to uh, the home of Car uh, Carnelius. Um, and... It's a little shocking for Peter because he enters a world that he's not supposed to be in. Uh, he is in the house of a Gentile. And not only that, he eats with the Gentiles. Now you have to understand that the purity code at that time was highly regarded. These are things that you just did not do. You did not eat with Gentiles. You did not go into their homes. Uh, you can deal with them in a business way, but, you know, that's a little shaky, too. And the whole idea was that the Jews maintained their identity through the, uh, the purity laws and doing the things that they thought they should be doing to be distinctive. Now, if you happen upon a, 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 an Orthodox Jew in an airport like we did in, in Detroit, they stand out. They got the hat, they got the, the hair, they got the black suit, and they've got other things with Hebrew writing on it. There's no, uh, there's, there's no doubt that they're Jewish. And so, you know, can you think of a whole culture based on that? And that's kind of what Peter was dealing with. He left his Jewish uh, world and entered this Gentile world and not only stayed there and ate there, but he was blessed um, by Cornelius. Wow, how am I going to explain that back at the church? Hmm. So that's where our story comes in. You know, he appears um, to his people in Israel, and they give him a hard time. 
you know, what were you doing there? Uh, why did you go there? And of course he blamed God. God told me to go there, uh, which is a great, you know, that's a great reason, actually. That's a great excuse. If you ever need to say you, you did something that was a little stupid and you say, well, God made me do it. <laughs> Just try it. It works. <laughs> there is one phrase in the story itself and then the same phrase uh, as Peter is telling of these other people. And this is the crucial phrase. And this is where the whole thing hinges on this statement. Do not make profane what God has made clean. Wow. If you think about that for a minute, that is a total pivot by the Jewish community to turn around and to not only accept the Gentiles, but to be open to their way of life. That's why uh, Peter had this uh, vision, you know, on this, on this sheet coming down, there were animals there that they were forbidden to eat. That was the problem. You know, there's a list. You can go to the book of Leviticus and find everything they can eat and what they can eat. And it gets a little weird. You know, you wonder, why well, I like shellfish. You know, what's wrong with shellfish? So this is the pivot. And this was Peter's case. And this will be our case as well. Do not profane what God made clean. Can you help me for just a few minutes to think what that phrase might mean in our culture? What groups call profane what God created clean? Can you think of any? They're all around us. How about the KKK? and their brand of racism. Black people are God's children too, but they were treated with a, a great deal of disrespect. They were treated profanely, which means it's not worth anything. I grew up in a, <clears throat> in a household of uh, two parents and, and 3.4 children. My brother was shorter than me. <laughs> so I gave him a hard time. You're the point five. Women. Yeah, women. Our culture's attitude toward women has not changed as much as we think it has. You know, where's the woman's place? And why aren't women making as much as men in the workplace? Because choices they made. Yeah, blame them. They could have asked for more. <laughs> Just try it. How about uh, the Native Americans who were first here? You get what I'm saying? Pro treating something as profane means treating something as of little or no value. So, back to the Jewish problem, 
Uh, they've been treating Gentiles as if they were not valuable in the eyes of God. It's easy to see why people turn this around to their advantage into an in-group and out-group. I was kind of happy to come uh, back from our trip, and of course we landed um, that. <laughs> I'm tempted to use a couple of profane, profane words. <laughs> L-A-X. I always thought that was short for laxative, but you know, <laughs> it works for me. And just the, the hubbub of people from all over the world. You got white skin, you got brown skin, you got black skin, you got, you know, people with definitive faces of where they come from. And, and it's just kind of an anthill of diversity. And I was just reaffirmed now that, that we live in a very diverse culture here, and I'm happy about it. I'm really happy about it. Um, because often, I believe that God comes to us through other people. You know, we're always looking for some sign, you know, some divine sign, you know, tell me, God, what I should do. And your friend comes in and says, you should do it. And you say, no, no, I'm talking to God. <laughs> Mind your own business. No, really, think over your own life. Think over your own lifetime and all the people who've come into your life. Maybe you didn't, did not invite them, but they came. <laughs> or you invite them, or they're just in your life. And, and then you think back to the ones who really added value to your life, and you, and, you, and you just thank God for them. Thank God, I've experienced that here at the church. I often tell the story of Janine Sledham when she first came here, and you know, she was the co-pastor for, uh, for um, the two of us together. And I first met her up in Claremont uh, at a meeting we had up there, and she was working in an office, and you know, she, uh, introduced herself and she talked about herself and, and all of that. And then a few days later, um, I was standing at the door back there at the end of service and everybody's leaving, you know, shaking hands, you know, thank you for being here. And, and then Janine went through the line and I did not recognize her. Now she stopped out of her car and she says, I'm not going to let it end this way. She trotted right back to me, standing at the door, and she looked at me and she says, you don't remember me, do you? <laughs> what? <laughs> and she turned out to be one of the most important people in my life. And I could go on. I mean, that's kind of an exceptional. But, but every person who comes through that door, I have not invited personally. They come here. Uh, if they like us, they'll stay. If they don't like us, I don't really care. <laughs> there are 30 other churches to choose from in Brea. <laughs> so yes, yes, I say that uh, we would not be who we are without other people. And so to, to treat people profanely is to exclude them from your life. Now, I, I have treated my fair share of people profanely. But I've also been alert, the older I get, to people who come into my life that might very well be God doing something in my life and in their life. I'm starting to believe that that's how God speaks, is through other people to us. 
And I'm not just talking, you know, friends, casual relationships. We come here to think about theology and philosophy and the Bible, and we want to live life more deeply. And, you know, what would happen if, you know, half of you I have excluded? Well, you wouldn't be in my life. And I think back all the people that I've known and who've been helpful for me, I just really thank God for them because they've been a blessing to me. I have not invited everyone into my life. There are some unhealthy people out there. And uh, sometimes they do weird things with pastors. Mm, you know, I'm not going to invite them. That's okay. It's okay. The Jewish people back in Jerusalem relented and allowed Peter's story and their response was who was I that I could hinder God that might be the most important response in this whole story who am I to hinder God I think that's something to, to value. That's a good question to ask ourselves because that makes us more alert to what God might be doing around us. You know, I'm an introvert. I go home after everything and I, I lay in bed in the fetal position and suck my thumb. So I might be missing a lot of people out there, but I got you. Really, I just, I'm so happy to have you all in my life. And so you see, that's what the issue is. That's what the issue is, is if you try and stay, you know, together in one little community and you don't really have much to do with the outside world, what happens to your little world? It becomes dysfunctional, it becomes small, it becomes dictatorial. So, the story of Jesus Christ is that he is the primary model of what it looks like to be righteous with God. I don't like celebrating Jesus. Jesus did not raise himself, nor anybody of his friends. Nobody could raise him except for God. And really, that's the person we should be, be uh, worshiping. So, you know, here we are, Southern California, Brea, California, 19, uh, 2016. Um, we have varying lifespans among us. We have things to do. The question is, what are you going to do with that time you have? How are you going to use that energy that you have? And I will leave with you the same statement that is made more than one time in the Bible. Who am I to hinder God? Who are we to hinder God? I love that. <clears throat> that was just, to me, that's a great gesture, bringing me water. I love that. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer. Loving God, we come here on a, a Sunday morning, as we often do, 
And if we come here long enough, we tend to expect it. We tend to come here and hear the word preached and sing our hymns and then leave and go back to our regular life. But sometimes it can be too late. Help us to follow the example of Jesus Christ here today, now, to use our energy, our time, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the transforming power of God. We are disciplined followers of Jesus. We want to know what he taught. We want to know what he faced. We want to know what it meant to those around him when he reappeared after his death. These are all important things for us, loving God. You know that it's difficult for us to trust you. We are called by so many other organizations and institutions to trust them. And they continually fail us. The only person we owe our trust to is you, loving God. May we be your disciples. May we hold up those who need to be held up in our thoughts and our prayers. We thank you for one another because without one another, there would not be a church here. Without our families and our friends, we would be nothing. We exist because we are in a web of relationships with other people. When somebody else hurts, we all hurt. When somebody among us experiences joy, we're all joyful. We want to bless one another. We want to pray with one another. We want to be together to learn how to be a new community of love and respect. So let us, the Brea Congregational Church, be a role model in the way that we struggle to live according to Jesus. And loving God, we've got other people in our congregation that we'd like to pray for. We pray that you would hurt, that you would heal all hurts, that you would bring peace to chaos, that you would bring hope to despair. We thank you for the example of Jesus, and we pray the same prayer that he taught his own disciples how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.